Are you late to the financial party? Welcome to the 313 Men, Money, and Mass podcast, where facts, logic, and reasoning are at the forefront of every conversation. In this episode, we're talking about are you late to the financial party? What can you do if you have not started saving and investing? Why is it important to invest for the long term? What are some strategies that can help you save for your long term? How to utilize the male financial prime years to help you reach your long term goals? And what are the advantages to working longer? with my special and returning guest, Mr. Greg's Take. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we delve deep into this issue. And welcome back to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast. And as we just did say on the intro, we're going to be talking about are you late to the financial party? One of the reasons why I wanted to do this particular episode is because there was a two or three people I had spoke to within the past, I want to say three or four months who we got on the subject of this and some people said either they hadn't started saving yet. And these were people in their early forties and, or they said, they started saving, but they put them in very, you know, high, low things that didn't pay a high interest rate. So they had tucked them in things such as at the time CDs, even though they pay more now, or other investments that was giving them like a one or two percent return on their money annually. And so they felt like they were behind and they didn't know how to sort of catch up. So that was one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about this particular topic on this on the show today. And we we brought back Greg because. For one, he's one of the fan favorites for the show. And two, uh, he knows quite a lot about this. Being he's going to give you a little bit of background on what he does if you're new to the show and you haven't listened to us before. So would everyone give it up for Mr. Greg's take? Greg, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Sure. Greg, just to give people a little quick heads up, can you just tell them again, you know, your background as far as what you do, what you used to do and what you do currently doing now? Sure. Um, 21, 22 years in mortgage lending, back office, simple, um, pushing paperwork, helping banks create notes. Um, left that maybe July of this year, but the first year in the real estate endeavor, I was still at the bank. So it was slow because rates were rising. was able to uh, knock down a couple of deals and left and went full time. Uh, so now I'm out on my own. Uh, of course, I had some seed in the storehouse before I left the bank. I didn't put myself out in the middle of the desert. I'm 54. My wife is 72. She's a retired banker. Um, just the brown bag special. There's, there's nothing fancy about it. It's, it's, it's not sexy. It's not pretty. It's work, but it can be rewarding. So I'm just uh, happy to be here to hopefully serve your listeners once again. All right, Greg, thanks for coming back on. And like, like I said, I just want to, we're going to get into some of the questions here relatively quickly, but we're going to be there's certain areas we're going to be talking about today that's going to take a little bit longer than, you know, it would be just to answer one or two quick questions, but we're going to get into that now. And the one thing I did want to start off with, Greg, why, why do you think uh, some people wait or delay saving for their future in one way, shape or form? You know, like 
what have you know obviously you worked in the bank and everything before so what what are some of the reasons that you might have heard you know your your unofficial data collection just doing that type of work what do you think some of the reasons are two things number one we can too easily finance the things that we need or want in our lives cars houses credit cards yes. whatever that's the big siphon out of our paycheck and the other one is we're all guilty of this the inability to delay gratification those are the two primary causes in my opinion we want it now yes and, and delaying gratification is is yes yeah. Yeah. The, the delaying gratification is very difficult for people just based upon what you just said earlier is that there's such a we have access to credit relatively easily you know we can you know you can go in a store and they'll say hey we got zero percent for 12 months 24 months i've seen some furniture stores go off five years and so you have access to capital even if you don't have any <laughs> if you don't have capital at all you still have access to it so i think that plays a a role and why people are doing that andrew and are you so ready I, I think that's, that's, credit. we're going to check my credit and see if they'll lend to me are you ready He's got, he's got a yeah. post. Yeah, exactly. You have a post basically. Yes. We'll yeah. determine how much you get, you know, just think talking about this. I remember I, I said on, I think a previous show, I remember when I just went into the military, uh, I didn't have any credit. So I, a, a department store opened up credit for me, you know, and I remember they, I probably was 18. Ooh, I remember right. my credit limit. Yeah. My credit limit was literally, I think they gave me $300. Oh, you were balling. That's a credit you limit were balling, back then. man. Balling yeah. hard. I bought, let me tell you what. I bought a $50 bottle of uh, cologne. That was my first purchase. <laughs> High priority, my friend. High so priority. that's it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the, the another thing I did want to talk to you about is do you think it's ever too late to join this financial party? You know, some people think, you know, if they get into their 40s and 50s that they might have let too much time pass, you know, pertaining to a decade or two. You know, we on our on the show here, we talk a lot about the decade of your 20s and how it's important for you to get it right. But I'd always tell people also that doesn't necessarily mean it's over, but it does help you if you figure it out in your 20s. What, what is your thought process on that? You know, is it is it, you know, is it ever too late? to jump in and try and get caught up? No, uh, the answer is hell to the no, it's never too late. And I will say this, it's easy to do this, I've done it. We look back and we go, man, I wasted some years. You can't make up that money. It's not gonna happen. I, unless you run into a, a massive windfall and we're not even gonna go there cause that's just not normal. But even if you did run into a massive windfall and you hadn't saved up to that point, you're still gonna have the, the money behaviors that brought you to where you are now. So I would say it's never too late ever. I don't care how old you are. And knowing that you can't make up that money, think of it this way. You're looking into the future. Let's say you're 40 and you're like, I've only got 25 years left, 30 years left. That's one way to look at it. And it can be disheartening. Here's another way to look at it. Instead of trying to just save money, let's think about buying assets that produce positive cash flow to pay our living expenses. If you've got assets, that send you positive cash flow every month that pay your bills, saving is not as big of a deal in your mind anymore. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And basically the best thing that you can do is if you can get income coming in, just like you said, on a monthly basis from investments that you've made in the past, that, that takes, that's a heavy, uh, 
burden. It's you know something that's lifted off of you that you didn't, weren't, you know, it, versus if you don't have it at all. So yeah, yeah I, I, I totally understand that. You know, one of the reasons, and this is an area that you talk about a lot, and I guess we got some some good news on this front, is that why it's important to invest and save for the long term is simply because of inflation. And so one of the things I tell people is, you know, you're investing is a hedge against inflation if you're, you know, depending on the, the percentage you're getting back, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but it will hedge against inflation. And when I say we got some good news, apparently it's, it's, it's obviously going down. A report just came out this week and it's, it's, you know, down to almost to where it was prior to COVID. So what's your thought process on that pertaining as it uh, investing and saving for being a hedge to this inflation? Well, one thing I've learned and somebody had to teach it to me, I don't think about interest rates. I don't think about inflation. I do for what we're doing here, but I don't worry about them. I used to, because when you get focused and you figure out a way to buy assets that give you positive cash flow every month at whatever level, you don't have to worry about catching up the 30 years that you lost, right? The, the, the goal is because we know inflation will always be there. It's a hidden tax. We've talked about this before. But if you have assets that throw off positive cash flow, rental properties, one, you flip cars and take payments from people and carry the title until they pay you off. That's another form. There's many forms. But if you've got assets that are giving you monthly cash flow equal to your living expenses, that is the technical definition of rich. So if your monthly expenses are $4,000 and you have assets throwing off $4,000 in, in positive cash flow, that's the technical definition of rich. Now past that is the definition of wealth. So wealthy people and rich people, they don't care about 99 cent Big Macs. They don't really care about what inflation is because they're buying. All they do is buy assets. They just buy assets, buy assets, buy assets, buy assets. I don't know if I answered that question or not. I get it. I'm sorry. I had my thing on. Yes, I get it. You, you're, the, the most important thing is, you know, you're saying you're not necessarily worried about it because you're, you're saying your, your investments are going to simply outperform whatever it is that they're doing at that time. Yeah. And it's in a cyclical, like, you know, the last big inflation jump we had was in the late seventies. Was it, I guess, yeah, going into the early 80s. So it's, you know, I guess it comes around about every 40 years or so where we'll see a spike in it. Yeah. And then it sort of tames itself and, you know, with, you know, obviously interest rate hikes and stuff like that, it sort of tames itself and gets gets it back to that point. I want to talk about the, the, the household savings rate. And right now it's at about 3.9%. Now I've seen this number zero. I've seen this number below zero, and I've also seen this number higher. I don't know exactly where this 3.9% ranks pertaining to overall historical, but I still think that is a little too low. I think the, the household savings rate needs to be higher than this. Um, what's your thought process on that? Well, um, I'll, I'm going to clarify, and if I'm wrong, please correct me. When you say 3.9% or 5, you mean of take-home pay. Right. After the paycheck comes in, we devote a specific chunk of that. Is that what we're talking about generally? Yes. Uh, well, it says the annual, the, the, the numbers I have, the median household savings total. And I guess this is including everything that you have saved. 
runs around 87,000. But th- I think this is based upon everything. The savings rate, I think they're basing on after-tax dollars or post-tax dollars. Sure. So net income. Okay. So yeah, my answer would be start small if you have to. Okay. Let's say the take-home pay is $1,000. Whether that's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, doesn't matter. That's, that's your, we're going to say monthly. Let's say that's $1,000 is your take-home pay. You have to come up with a number that isn't easy, easy on you, but doesn't make you squeamish and, and lay awake at night sweating. And you have to devote that amount of money. This is kind of like tithing people. We're not going to go there. That's a different topic. Okay. You have got to devote a certain percentage of your paycheck to putting it away into savings, right? This is not generally going to carry you through into your old age and, and feed you and take care of your medical bills if you stop working when you're 65 years old. This is for the now. The hot water heater, Junior breaks his arm, the transmission falls out of the car. That's the kind of savings that I'm talking about, right? So if we're not doing that, then when something comes up, that money needs to come from somewhere. And it's going to come from a couple of different places. You're either going to borrow it or you're going to go to family, friends, and somebody else in your immediate life that's going to give you that money to take care of your problem. So when we don't have the, the ability to be disciplined enough to save, no matter what that number is, you do it consistently based on your income, then we have to depend on other people. And that puts us in a vulnerable position. I don't know if I answered the question or not. No, that's good, Greg. You know, I was going to say, we talk about this number on the show a lot. And we were just basically, when we, we covered it, is that, you know, 52, roughly 52 to 54%, depending on which data you use, of American households cannot afford a $1,000 repair on anything. And part of the reason, like you were saying, is that delayed, the ability to not delay gratification because we find ourselves in a multitude of different credit things that we got, or we might've bought a card we probably shouldn't have bought or couldn't afford. But that is, that's one of the, 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 the problems and pertaining to that. Some, let me but give some quick ahead. context here call a plumber right now and say, my hot water heater just died. What's it going to cost me? It's pushing a grand now, people. 750, 800 in that range. How much is it going to cost me to replace my roof? Because we, we can all put that off. I'm going to give you the math. $7 times the total square footage of your house. Do the math. Can you afford that right now? Wow. That, and that's and, a lot. And, that, and, and you re- bring up a good reality. point. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, a few years back, I, when you brought up the water heater thing, I, a few years back, I did have a water heater rebuilt and um, versus going out and buying a brand new one. Mm-hmm. So I had one rebuilt and that was about 300 bucks. Probably new. Just to rebuild there. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, that, that's your best case scenario. I mean, your worst case scenario is you, they're going to tell you, you got to chunk this thing and you're going to have to buy another one in there. Like you said, they're not cheap. They're probably starting at about six to 700. And if you want a decent one, you're probably going to be closer to a thousand. I, I would think as of right now, I haven't checked the prices on them, but yeah, I think so. I'm, yes, throw another one and I'm not getting grim here. When I was coming up, the average funeral was about six to $8,000. Let's go 10 to 12. And, and, and if you believe in burial, that's fine. If that's what you plan on doing, that's fine. I've been to funerals of family members where there were seven kids and they were arguing over who was going to pay how much of the bill to, to bury grandpa because some of them didn't have it. 
right? So if you're okay with cremation, you can have that done for about 1500 bucks, maybe two grand roughly. So think about that. There's options, but even then, do you have the money to handle that? Not everybody's going right, to put you on true. a payment plan. Not everybody's going to put you on a payment plan. So most people do. Yes. You know, but anyway, I I'm got not, you on I'm that. Not trying to go in hard on this, but this is the stuff that we really hey, don't want to think about. Yeah, it's reality. It's yeah. it's this is the world you live in, and, and what you just described, I've seen the same thing too. I've yeah. seen that happen before, and so yes, absolutely. We're going to get in the area that you're dealing with, sort of now. We're going to talk about real estate and home ownership, and how much that plays a role in our financial landscape. And for most people in the country, as you know, their biggest purchase they'll ever make is their purchase of their home, and in addition to that, it usually is their biggest asset is their their home just due to appreciation over the course of time versus years and everything like that. So with all of that happening, with all of that happening, the real estate side of things, you know, we're going to talk about retirement being a three-legged stool here right after this, but I just want to say, how important is this, do you think, for people to, if they, if they don't, if they do own a home, you know, obviously location, all that stuff plays a role in but how important is that real estate factor in your long-term planning for, you know, retirement or whatever your goal is? Well, one way to look at it is this. Most people would rather own than rent, but not everyone can own. I mean, and I understand that. I totally understand that. Um, renting for life is, it's a tough spot, but some people, you know, they just simply can't. Um, or they, they don't have the wherewithal or the knowledge. But let's assume we have a house payment right? If you have the ability to borrow against it, i.e. a home equity line of credit, not everybody has the ability to do that. Don't be buying boats and four wheelers and sending your kids to college and buying the fur for the wife and the diamond rings and all that other crap, because all you're doing is it's just you're treating your house like an ATM machine. This is what happened uh, leading up to 08. And the, the banks, they're not evil. They're just in business. They said, we've got to figure out a way to get these people to tap into this equity because it's building. And they found out a way to tap it. And they were selling lines of credit like candy at the banks that I worked at. I mean, that's they pushed that stuff like crazy. And it's everybody gets into it. It just becomes normal. They push it. Doesn't mean they're evil. Everybody wants it. Everybody's talking about it. So I would say the people that in my life that I know that bought back in the 70s, and never borrowed against their house unless it was an absolute dire medical emergency or something like that and just paid their houses off. They won in this game, but the people that refi every three to five, seven years, those are the losers. And I don't mean you're a loser. I just mean you're financially not winning because if you go into a 30 year loan and five years down the road, you say, well, I'm going to refinance for a 2% cheaper rate. You start all over again at the beginning of another 30 year note and you're paying nothing but interest. So you're just, you're lather rinsing and repeating and you're never really paying it off. So to answer your question, if you're in a house and the days of let's move up in square footage just because we can right now, those are kind of over, or if at least not at a standstill at this point, because credit is getting more expensive right now. Oh, they'll come back down to three and four, Greg. Are you sure about that? So no matter what rates are, we need some sort of a plan. We need some sort of discipline. And no matter where rates are, whether they're two or whether they're eight, we need to stick to that discipline and that plan, no matter what. Those are the people that win. 
Got it. And, you know, when you were talking about those home equity line of credits during that period of time that you're talking about, I literally they're called home improvement for that reason. Therefore, home improvement. You know, they say that you should be dumping in roughly two to three percent of what that house is worth every year into upgrading and fixing your home unless you got a new build. Well, you can probably delay it several years, but you should. And and even in our situation, I, I have a house that's basically three years old that uh, I've already had to make a few minor repairs to it. I mean, and it's three years old. So, I mean, it's little minor things here and there, nothing major, but even still, you should be using a home improvement for that. I literally knew someone during that period of time that you were discussing that took out home equity, you know, line of credit and bought a bar. Literally, I'm not kidding. Wow. Bought a bar and, and the bar eventually after about two or three years, he had to sell it at a loss because it didn't make any money. Yeah. And so these there. are some of the things that you have to. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate. I want to move into, I like to talk about, you know, planning for our long-term future being sort of a three-legged stool. And what I'm getting at is that about 88% of the public, uh, people who are working, who basically have nine to five jobs, think the 401k is a must-have for workers. And the only thing that ranks higher than the 401k for, for workers is health insurance, which would make sense. But I always say, when we say a three-legged stool, I say, if you're getting a 401k or a pension, that's one, one leg. The other leg we will have access to is Social Security, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. And then the third leg is some of the stuff that you'll sort of do on your own. So Greg obviously does real estate, but there's other people who might just do regular investing and just the stock market. Uh, you might own stocks, you might own mutual funds, anything. But that's the third leg. So that's what I wanted, wanted to talk about pertaining to this. It's important to have those three things in place. Now, you know, most jobs, well, not most jobs, but some jobs do offer 401k plans, and there's some matching dollars that goes into it. I tell people to at least put enough money in there to where you can get the full match. So you, it's a benefit, so you should take advantage of it. Greg, what are your thoughts on that, that? sort of that three-legged stool towards, I won't use the word retirement, but just securing your long-term future. Well, first of all, we have to remember that most companies in America don't offer a 401k plan because they're not big enough, right? Small business, I think, is defined as, is it 100 employees or less? Somewhere in there, 200 maybe. I don't remember what the numbers are. So if you do work for a company that offers yes. it, you're, you're actually pretty fortunate, right? So if you're going to, if you're going to do that, do what Andrew just said, if you're going to do it, just do it. But here's the thing. If you're not already saving, then how can you afford to pay into that 401k? See, we want to develop these disciplines. And if they begin today and you can go in and sign up and, and that works for you and it makes sense for you, just do it. And what happens is, is in the beginning, that money's coming out and you're like, man, it just feels like it's biting. You have to stick it out and you have to adjust your lifestyle and the way you live and spend around that. And then it becomes normal and you don't even miss the money. And when you get good at the 401k contribution, then you start working on the saving. Then you tr take that same discipline and you apply it to the saving and you don't even miss it. And you go to sleep and you go, I'm not worried about that thousand dollar hot water heater anymore because we have five times that right now. 
we could pay for five of those hot water heaters and then 10 and then 15 and then 20, but you're not going to get there overnight. None of us do. So I would say today is the best day to start because you're saying in your mind, I've done it. One day I'll make this habit change one day. And you wake up and you're 50, you're 60, and you just signed up for another 30 year ride on a mortgage. Think about it. Well, Greg, my kids will take care of me. My kids will take care of me. Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Just well, something the question I was going to say is why, why would you want to put the burden on your children when it was something that you could have done yourself? Yep. You know, I mean, that's a lot to put on your children. I mean, obviously, you know, you would think just by nature that sometimes they'll want to do it. But I mean, they, they may have families and stuff that they got to worry about themselves. They may not you know, be able to do it. So it's, it's good for you to, you know, get prepared for yourself. And I just want to make a preface here just as a disclaimer. We're not sitting here saying we're financial advisors of any sort. We're just putting this information out here. You can take it for what it's worth. It is just mm -hmm. information. And I always tell people to look up and do a lot of the research yourself. It's relatively easy. Uh, for the most part, to find access to the same information. However, we're putting our point of view on it to maybe, you know, assist and help everyone out here who's, you know, trying to, you know, get from point A to point B or trying to move up and get, get out of this, this, the matrix here of just bad financial decisions that, you know, we've all made in our past, you know, and which I've told several people on, you know, on a podcast, I've mentioned several times some of the things I did in my past that I, I can't even regret it because I, I've learned from it, but you know, it's, it's stuff that, you know, I should have never done in the first place, but let me just say this really quick about social security and give people a little bit of background on it. You hear a lot on TV and the news media, how it's going bankrupt. It's a Ponzi scheme and all these crazy things that you'll hear out here on TV. And that's, that's, that's not true. And I'll, I'll just say this. Social security is not going to run out of money per se to where it will pay no benefit. What's happening is in about 10 years, it will not be able to pay a full benefit. Meaning that what it's paying right now, it'll probably be able to pay about 80% of that. However, with minor tweaks to the system, it can go back to paying another 100% of the benefit for at least another generation. So it's not something that's a very difficult thing to fix. It's relatively easy to fix. The other issue with it is what is it based upon? And this is I'm talking about this because this is part of your three-legged stool. Because if you had a job where you were getting a W-2, you're paid into Social Security, no matter what. So that's just how it works. The way that works is this. They're going to take... 420 months of your working history and whatever number that comes up, they're going to divide it by that 420. And that basically determines what you get from social security. That's your dollar amount that you will receive. When you turn 62, I think that's the earliest you can start to collect and check my numbers for accuracy. Cause I could be wrong. That would be the lowest number that you would get in retirement. Because every year after that, it goes up anywhere between 5 to 8% each year that you delay taking it. So at 62, we'll say that it pays out a certain dollar amount. But if you waited until, say, 65, it'll probably give you another 20 to 24% over that number. If you rate to 60, 
seven, it would probably give you closer to 30 to 30, you know, five, maybe even, I think maybe five years up to 40% of that number. So sometimes it makes sense for some people to just delay retirement if they're behind, meaning they haven't collected, they, they haven't saved enough, but if they, they're healthy enough to continue to work, they can, you know, obviously they would still be contributing to their 401k plan. There'd be more money would be going into social security. And what they, well, just to give people background on it, what they do is they take your highest earning basically 35 years because 420 months is 35 years. They take your highest earning 35 years and put it into the formula. So if you're working and you're making a certain dollar amount, that might be to your advantage to stay on working versus, you know, trying to retire earlier. If you're in a situation where you can do that, great. But if you can't, don't feel frustrated. Maybe just work a couple more years and it might work out to your advantage over the long term. Greg, what do you think about that pertaining to, you know, obviously I said it's one of the three legs on the stool. It's a government, basically Social Security is a government pension. So what's your thoughts on that? I can only speak for myself. I'm 54. I am moving forward as if it will not be there when that time comes for me. It doesn't mean that it isn't going to be there, but let's say it is going to be there. It's not a matter of how much is it, although that's important. Let's say, and I know this is a very accurate number, the average social security check is $1,000 a month. It's not about, is it going to be $1,000 a month when you, the listener, turn the age to draw it? The question you need to be asking is, what's my purchasing power? What's it going to buy? Because right now with the rate of inflation, yeah, we're in, inflation side of things, yeah. it's less. So yes, let's say the, let's say the average check, Greg gets the average check when he stops, whatever that means. And it's a thousand. Well, what if a thousand only buys one loaf of bread and one gallon of milk where previously it bought five loaves of bread and five gallons of milk. So the, the inflation is what is affecting our purchasing power, but we can get stuck in the number. Um, but I do know this, imagine living on a fixed income, a thousand dollars a month. Maybe you have a spouse or a partner and they're getting maybe a thousand dollars a month. And maybe if you're lucky, there's some pension. And then you start talking about medications and things of this nature. We're in a, we're in a pretty tough spot here as a country because, you know, our, our government's a big old mess and they just don't know how to be disciplined and neither do most of us either. But in the end, um, I can only cut my living expenses so deep, Andrew. I mean, what are we eventually going to be down to? Tap water, bologna, and cheese, and then your ribs start poking out. I mean, at some point, something's got to give. So the only thing I know to do, only because I'm still young enough and healthy enough to continue to work, is to increase my earning. That's the only thing I know how to do. I'm not saying it's the, the cure-all, but at this point in my life, it's the only way that I know how to try to stay ahead of inflation, right? Is to just increase my income. Now, I used to go in the other direction, cut down as much as humanly possible, pay off all debt humanly possible. And that's okay. I did that for a season. And that is a tool, but it's a temporary tool, especially when inflation is chewing my purchasing power every single day. Yeah. And one other thing I do want to say is that on the inflation front, we did get good news this, this week. So as long as that number is going going down versus going up. That's always an advantage that we'll, we'll have. It's us. Uh, it's slowing as they say. So we, we, we want to see that. We want to see that continue to go. 
Well, Greg, we're running out on time, but I do want to cut one or two other quick things here. And one of them, we, we talked about basically simplifying investing and what you can do to, to pertaining to that and what the advantage might be to working longer. What I was just basically saying with working longer is that if you're able to, you're, you can, depending on the type of work you're doing, if you're not doing manual labor, if you can actually work a little bit longer and you don't have to touch your 401ks and you don't have to collect your social security at the earliest point possible, that's, it's almost like you're getting a pay raise every single year because you're going to be contributing more and you're going to have more for your retirement when you actually do. A lot of times what we have happen is a lot of people will say, well, it's a benefit of mine. I don't know when I'm going to pass away, so I want to start collecting it now. Well, it's, it's generally speaking, most people, if you're at that age, you're in your 60s, you'll probably live another 20 years or so anyway. So is it going to be that big of a deal if you waited or delayed it a year or two? Probably not. You wouldn't even notice it. But some people think along those terms. Greg, I'm going to ask you this last little thing here. If someone came up to you and let's just say they told, said to you, you know, I'm 40 years old. I have little to no assets and I'm in a situation where I live check to check, but I do want to save for my future. I do want to have something put away for my future so I don't have to work forever. Basically, what would be some of the things that you would say to them or what would you say to them? Well, I'd say, okay, what's your take home pay? Not that it's any of my business, but we need a number, right? We got to start somewhere. Okay. That's the first number. What's your total monthly living expenses? And most people don't even know what that number is, Andrew. You know that. And once we see those two numbers, then we're going to come up with a number of how much you're going to save every payday, whether it's once a week, every two weeks, or once a month. And you do that consistently over time. If that's the only thing we're going to do and talk about, we have to consistently take a piece of that money and save it. Now, that's not going to get us out of, out of the, the muck and the mire completely, but we have to start changing the behavior somewhere. And if that's where we need to start, then that's perfectly fine. I had, it took me years to realize how important it is, is to meet people where they are. And I got started to this financial party late in the game, people. Greg wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I didn't really start coming around until like probably the last five years, literally. And I'm 54. I mean, really like you, if you're going to do anything, it needs to be now, seriously. So if you're going to save... Today's the time to start. The start is yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Today's you know, that's a joke. They say yesterday. That's it. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and like I said, I, I've done little small minor things when I first started to, you know, put something away and it, it helped, you know, and at the time I didn't realize how important it was, but it was very important that some of those little small minor tweaks that I had did, you know, just putting a little bit of money that I had left over away and saving it or, you know, putting it in some type of an investment. And it got me to the point where I wasn't, you know, I, I never really was quote unquote broke, you know, uh, for the, you know, over the last 20, 25 years, because I always had something saved. May not have been a whole lot, but I always had something there. Oh, well, can we're I add one about, more thing? Can I add one more absolutely, quick thing? Go ahead. You have time. You, you can go ahead. I'm not here to talk now to anybody. Okay. But if you do not save your money and you're buying lottery tickets and smoking cigarettes, you need to take a long, hard look at your priorities. And I've had to do that with things in my life. And it's a hard reality to face. What do I want more in my life? We have to be serious about this. And, and if don't be hanging on, holding out for that big lottery win. It is not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You got that right. You yep. got that right. I, I literally knew somebody who hit uh, one of the scratch-off ticket things for about $25,000. 
And after they won, they played and they ended up after they calculated, this is after they won, they spent $40,000. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a losing effort. So I recommend to stay away from that. If you're, if that's your get rich quick scheme plan, um, you might want to try something different. Well, Greg, we're going to wrap up and we tried to cover just about everything I wanted to cover on this particular podcast episode. If you have not done so, you can subscribe to our email list. The email list has got some advantages to it. They're going to be getting some bonus content who come on an email list of some either previous shows or some of the new ones. And you get to find out in advance what the next show is going to be about. The link will be in the show notes of the podcast. Just click on the link and it'll take you right to the website and you can sign up to the, for the email list right there. We've had a few more people sign up this week and that's always good. Also, there's an Instagram page, the 313 Men Money Marriage. You can go in there and you can see little video clips of certain episodes that we did record that we do video on. And you can see a few other things on there as well. And we are also getting ready to, I know I've been teasing people for this for a long time, but I wanted to start up a YouTube channel. We're going to get ready to do that soon, probably after the Thanksgiving break. I'll have the time to put that up and get it up and running. And you also see clips on there as well. So with that being said, I want to thank you, the audience, for continuing to support this humble podcast. And we've been able to have guests like Greg come on, who's been a big uh, asset to the show. So until we meet again, we are out.